Hey guys, it's Brandon. I try really hard to bring you quality audio on the podcast, but technology isn't perfect. Luckily, I had the phone interview as a backup, and I'm glad I did. I hope you guys enjoy this episode featuring creative director Mary Rossi. She works for SimCity in Seattle, and she has some awesome things to share. Enjoy. What's up, people? You're listening to A Quick Read, an advertising podcast that talks book smarts and street smarts with the people who have been there, done that. Today's guest is creative director Mary Rossi. Although she's building virtual worlds at The Sims, she advocates for building a culture of responsibility and freedom as we discuss Powerful by Patty McCord. You know what to do. Tune in and turn up. What's up, Mary? Hello. Hi. How you doing? I feel like I have to yell a little bit louder since you're so far away. <laughs> I know. Well, we're all the way across the country, <laughs> so the louder we yell into the microphone, the closer yeah. we get. Exactly. So, but before you moved out to Seattle, you were in Nashville, where is it's where I first met you. Yes, that is true. Do you remember getting a weird like solicited email from a young filmmaker in Nashville to an agency, I believe at the time you were at Bohan, saying, hey, we're going to be in Nashville. We should uh, meet each other. Yes, we did. And of course, we had to go get a beer because that is the first thing that you do when you meet other young, hungry creatives that are ready to change the world. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I, I think it was so cool that you, I think you, you had another friend with you and you guys were just so cool that you were just like, yeah, why not? Let's let's meet. And then I think we actually ended up, there was an event at your agency like you guys were having some sort of like open house or something and you were like, Hey, why don't you guys come back and meet our, meet our people. And that was so cool. Cause at the time we were kind of, you know, starting out in our, in creating our company at the time. Um, and it was just, we felt, uh, very welcomed. And so that was very nice of you. And I think from then we just kind of kept in touch and I always was interested in like what agency you were at or what you were doing. And, and here we are, you're all the way out in Seattle and you're working for the Sims. Yes, it's amazing how being married to a military member will just take you all over the country. But you get these <laughs> interesting and new experiences, and you get to experience different cultures across the U.S. And it's been interesting to see different creatives and commonalities and differences and the way you approach design and how much overlap there really is. Yeah. Well, it's pretty cool. Today, we're going to talk about Powerful by Patty McCord and um, why did you like that book? What's, what's, what's been so influential with this book throughout your career? Well, I was kind of forced to read it. Um, when the pandemic started in 2020, I'd been thinking about getting my master's degree for quite some time. Um, obviously, I had the undergraduate degree in design, and I've been working in design for a while. But I've always been fascinated with how people pick, especially creatives. Um, because you never really see creatives in position because their parents wanted them to do that or they had no other choices. You know, you kind of get that in other industries, but not as much in ours in particular. But that comes with a lot of emotion. And so this book, for me, um, it connected a lot of those things together as I've been trying to figure out how to build good teams, keep people creative, and support, you know, people making art and really indebting their souls into what they do and loving it so much, but also giving them the freedom to be able to just run with it. 
Man, that's exciting. I can't wait to jump into those big ideas. But before we do, let's just dial it back a little bit and sort of maybe um, take a walk down memory lane. So I mentioned I first met you in Nashville. Did you always know that you wanted to be in advertising and, and was Nashville always the starting place or give us a little breakdown of where you've been in advertising before you landed at uh, what you're doing in Seattle? Yeah, well, to start that story, I have to go way back to childhood, as most things do. And um, I always wanted to do art. I always wanted to be creating things. And I knew I'd be happy with a career doing anything in art. Um, and then I was 18, and I fell in love and you know, figured, who needs lifelong dreams when you can get a massage therapy degree and come back to Wyoming and heal people, right? So I kind of <laughs> made this detour. But then I got to a point where I just, I knew I was doing the wrong thing. I knew that I wanted to be an art. And so after a bottle of wine and a Google search for Art Mecca of the Nation, I ended up in San Francisco at the Academy of Art University for graphic design. I knew that I didn't want to be a starving artist, but I wanted to create things. So graphic design seemed like a great melting pot of those things. And I really fell in love with it when I realized that it is, you know, research and you have to understand, you know, what the company is and what they're trying to achieve and how you can do that graphically. So through that process, it kind of lit a fire under me because I realized I had time to make up for. And so I did everything that I possibly could to get an internship early and work really hard on honing my craft and diversifying my experiences. So my first job was as an intern in San Jose, California for Liquid Agency. And they did brand marketing, a lot of design, but for a lot of tech companies. And so I was building a lot of case studies. I was lucky enough to work right next to the CCO of that company, Alfredo Muccino, whom I learned so much from. And, you know, he has such an, an artistic, infectious spirit that really put me on the right track for a growth mindset and just playing in design and, and getting creative with it and being excited about it again. That's awesome. And so from there, like I said, you had uh, some time at Bohan, an agency in Nashville, and then you move on. Um, so talk about sort of the end of that and then this jump to Seattle where you've, you've done all sorts of things. You've started your own thing. You, you're definitely an entrepreneur. You've got your hand in a couple different little brands. And I feel like you're always trying something new or starting something new. So let's talk a little bit about sort of the moment when you kind of were like, okay, here I am. I've been at you know Bohan for for three years uh, doing this sort of art director stuff, and then somehow, boom, we're going to Seattle. Yeah. So when the army moved us to Nashville from San Francisco, when my husband completed school as well, um, I was at at Bohan as an art director in the advertising realm, and so that was a lot of expansion of skill set of looking at storyboards and looking at film and how do you take products that you would traditionally design in a graphic design profession, but communicate its offerings and its properties and what's so exciting about that to audiences and really making that connection and getting it in the hands of people that are excited to try it or it'll change their life. I really enjoyed my time there and I loved Bohan and everything they were doing. But then, you know, the military pipeline comes down and my husband got into a unit that took us to Seattle. But we were excited about the possibility. I was ready to come back to the West Coast. It just Every area has such a different energy to it. And I was ready to come explore the creative scene here. So we moved out here. And then I started working at a another brand design firm that focused a little bit more in UI, UX. But I was helping a lot with brand builds and defining strategies of how do you take these business goals 
and transition them into a visual identity system? And what is the psychology related with that? And what is the strategy in that? And I found that part of it very fascinating as well. That's awesome. And then what about these little, I guess, are they side hustles? You, you've got some, you're in the cannabis space a little bit. You're in maybe like a some beauty products or I, it's, I don't know the breadth of everything you're in, but you have some things where you're, you know, your, your partner, you helped sort of create or you're, you're behind that. Talk a little bit about those, those things and how they've been a part of this journey. Yeah. And graphic design and advertising is interesting because you can apply it to every industry, right? So if you're interested in beauty or skincare or cannabis or anything that you're personally in love with or really enjoy, you know, that industry or the product itself, you have this opportunity to build your own creation and do it however you want. And so both of those projects were part of that. After I left Urban Influence, um, the design firm that I worked for when we first initially moved here, I started my own agency, which was a little bit more of a collective of creatives than it was a full agency. It was a group of people that were developers, videographers, photographers who wanted to just make great things together. And when we had projects come in that that opportunity presented itself, we would do that. And so the skincare company was a previous client of mine and she was bootstrapping the whole thing. And so, you know, it was a, hey, would you want to come on board? Are you excited about this to kind of work on this together? And so a lot of the projects that I work on were developed in that way. And I already had an intimate understanding with their business and what they were trying to achieve, that it made sense to continue to support them, but then take that equity in the business instead of working for hourly billables. As we all know, there's a cap to that. And so project-based or having equity in a company is a much more sustainable way to be involved and have your hand in all of these things and make it manageable, but keep things interesting and explore. Yeah, that's really cool. So you've been at agencies, you've kind of started your own, and then all of a sudden... Here comes the gaming industry. Now, this seems like a curveball to me. So, help us in advertising. How how does all of a sudden a art director, creative director, uh, person who wants to make interesting things now all of a sudden you're on you know part of the design, the creative director design at The Sims? I mean, we're talking. This is an iconic game for those gamers out there listening. I mean, who doesn't remember some of those early Sim City games? And now you're EA Sports. I mean, this is the home of of Madden and all sorts of amazing sort of uh, video games. And and now you're in the gaming world? What's going on? <laughs> yes, everybody remembers the first family that they burned in their first Sim house, you know, back in the day. <laughs> um, yeah, so it. I keep telling people that I got tricked into a full-time job. So you remember that internship that I had back in San Jose? One of the designers that worked there at the time um We had kind of done the same thing that you and I did. We kind of followed each other's careers and kept in touch through social media and, you know, said, hey, every once in a while. But he is a creative director for EA proper. And so when they were Hmm. looking to extend out their creative teams, there's typically one creative director on these teams that's kind of controlling every of all of the marketing communications that you see. But as they're developing products in the gaming industry is just changing in general. You know, one of the big ideas in this book is that people hate being lied to and fun. And the gaming industry has an element of that, that if the company is good, they're trying to turn around that perspective and really have transparency with players and care about their experiences. So 
having a director for or a creative director for design was one of the ways to be able to do that in a successful way where we can have a hand in what is developed in the game and how do we communicate that to players? So when I was approached with this position that was new that they were trying to test out, um, me, the creative director who brought me in, already knew that I had this vast experience of different industries, so advertising, UI, UX, and that I was currently getting my MBA as well. And my MBA also is an HR concentration. So it's really focused on mm. how do you build good teams? How do you look at processes? Um, and just take that value stream and make it better. But we're also doing that through art. So there was a lot of reorganizations and, you know, figuring out how can we make the best creative team to do right by our players. And that's kind of where I came in. And I fell in love with it. And the industry is so unique and so interesting. But yeah, working on a game that has been around for a really long time, there's definitely a privilege that I feel to be able to do that and work on one of the first <laughs> games that I worked, you know, I played in Wyoming when I was a kid and I didn't have a lot of creative outlets. I, I was a builder. I loved making things. So it really felt like it came full circle and a great opportunity that I didn't want to pass up to learn more. Wow, that's great. So let's jump into the book. You know, you talked about teams. You talked about building great creative teams. You know, one of the big ideas that, that the book talks about is this idea of different strengths for different teams. Um, dive a little deeper into that. Break that down for us and, and tell me how that's shown up in, in your current work. Yeah, so Patty McCord discusses the importance of building for the company that you want in the future, right? Not just making sure that you're sustaining what you're doing and the clients that you have, but where are those opportunities that occur in the future? Is there a market hole that you're trying to fill? Is there a niche that you're trying to connect with? And most companies are focused on growth, unless they're a lifestyle business where that's you know, the sustainability of that, just doing that day-to-day -day is what's important. But teams are like a, pip, a puzzle, not really a list or a chart of job descriptions. So when you're looking at the people that you have on your team, you might have a job listing for, say, an art director or a graphic designer, but understanding what specific soft skills and hard skills that person is going to need, not only to accomplish what you need them to, but fit in like a puzzle with the other art directors, designers in your team so that it's well-rounded and you have that dynamic and it multiplies those efforts when you have those different perspectives. Yeah. Are you guys using a tool for that? So I know at our agency, we use Predictive Index and that's a, it's a tool that can help sort of assess what drives and motivates people. When you, when you, when you think about, I know you mentioned soft skills or, you know, emotional intelligence, EQ type stuff. Are you guys using tools like that to help try and find what the the right mix of uh, of a team is going to be, or is this a little more, you know, old school style of just trying to you know figure out what works? I mean, help the listeners understand. You know, as you guys are building great teams, is it just are you going with your gut feeling, or do you have some other tools that you're you're leaning into? Yeah, I think a lot of it starts with the interview. We don't have proper tools that we are focused on specifically, like a Myers-Briggs test. A lot of the people that are on the brand side 
already have had those tests done. Um, they're pretty self-aware. They understand where we're going with the brand. And so it comes down more to making sure that we're interviewing the right people and not interviewing with bias. So that's one thing that's super important too, right? Is people inherently want to connect with people on a personal basis that they are interviewing because they're already part of that culture. So then they think that if they are in the culture and they love their job, then if somebody has a personal connection with them, they're probably going to be good in that job too, which is a small part of it, but shouldn't be hired for that when you're trying to figure out these puzzle pieces. So making sure that you're assessing for what values you want or just what attributes. So is that curiosity? Is it strategic thinking? Uh, Do you need people to execute? And then understanding situational and behavioral questions that you can ask to assess for that exact trait. And so I approach it more in that way of just having the conversation and trying to figure out what their goals are, what they're interested in, what they're excited about. Are they excited about The Sims? Are they excited about Apex or one of the other games so you can connect them? Because Patty McCord also has this perspective of everybody is human and everybody has the right to be fulfilled and happy in their position. And if that's not with our company, then you should be a great company to be from. And I thought that was such an interesting idea, especially, you know, she notes on it in a few different ways throughout the book. But I think it's always something good to keep in mind as we're bringing people onto teams and and growing businesses, right? Yeah. And I think, you know, a quote kind of under this idea that something she said I thought was interesting, great teams are not created with incentives, procedures, and perks. They are created by hiring talented people who are adults and want nothing more than to tackle a challenge and then communicating to them clearly and continuously about what the challenge is. And I thought she has a way of of communicating in her writing that's just kind of like, oh, duh. Yeah, (laughs) she's so approachable. And, you know, she really talks to making sure that you want to hire somebody for a job that's a stretch goal for them. You don't want to hire somebody who already has 100% of those qualifications because then they have no motivation to grow into that position. So even when you're looking for, say, you know, an art director, you might want to find somebody who is a senior designer or somebody that's just below that but is really interested in leadership or these conceptual ideation or working with other people on teams or leading teams because then they have a goal and they have that intrinsic motivation to expand their skill set. I mean, you and I do it. We we explore other skill sets that we don't currently have. We, you know, it helps you with communication with other creatives, but it also gives you a new perspective and it gives you that motivation to grow and it puts you in a growth mindset, which is so important too. Yeah, you know, I can hear in your voice this shift, this HR. My, so my wife is an HR director. And it's so interesting to hear to hear you talking right now because I'm like, I'm like, she's a creative director, she's an art director, and it's like now you've got this new lens, which is really exciting and interesting. How has that transition been for you? To have have, you know, are you showing up to work different? Are you are you thinking about things in a different way than when you were showing up having to you know work through you know design boards? Yeah, it's one of the things that my dad always said growing up is no education is bad education. And I agree with that sentiment because everything will give you a different perspective of how you live, lead, create. And so having the HR understanding, 
like I mentioned before, we're working with creatives. We're emotional. We love what we do. We love creating. And so having that HR side and just having the understanding of how to support people, how to make sure people thrive, thrive because you get more creative results when you work in those teams. And it, at the end of the day, HR is just all about treating people like humans, you know, in Patty McCord's case, making sure everybody gets treated like adults because we are all adults. And if they're not an adult, you probably shouldn't hire them for your company. And so it's just treating people well. But yeah, it's something that we all should take into consideration if you are in creative leadership outside of just making really cool stuff. Yeah. Yeah, uh, that leaps us over to the second big idea I want to talk about, this understanding. You mentioned knowing creatives. Uh, one of these other ideas that we kind of talked about was understanding the business for creatives and then debating vigorously. Um, what do you mean by that? What, what do you mean when you say it all starts with understanding? Talk a little bit about how that's that's showing up in your work. Yeah, so making sure that you know whether you're a creative or a developer or an art director or whoever it is on the team, not only understanding the business, but the player or the customer that you're trying to connect with too, right? But also understanding that getting buy-in is huge. And so you want to make sure that you're bringing people along for that process. When, um, when I was at the Academy of Art, we had this almost ritual with every project where we would just put everybody's work up and everybody would have to go around the room and just rip it apart, you know, what could we make it better? And so as designers, we're used to just having this creative conflict where you say, well, what if we did this to make it better? Or this isn't really communicating what we wanted it to. And so as designers, we get more used to having those open conversations. And if we're not mentioning it, it's probably awesome. And if we're figuring out how to make it better, then that's what we're focused on. But not everybody works like that. And people want to know that their work is celebrated and that they've been heard. So if you're getting a project that has already gone through its strategy process and it's coming to you on the creative team, you have to make sure that you're finding ways to tie it back verbally to the brand strategy so that they feel like their work has been heard. But then also celebrating what we're doing in the design. But it comes down to the you know, the human feelings again. It's always down to the feelings and making sure that people feel respected and trusted. Um, so Patty McCord has a great perspective. And one of the, the quotes from a podcast that she did in May is leaders come to companies and only reason for them to be there is to create great teams, do fabulous work on time with quality. So making sure everybody understands what we're making and what that quality means and they work together collaboratively in a way that they can have this conflict and rip things apart and drop them if they need to or make them better together, it builds that business in a positive way. Yeah, and I also, like, she she talked in the book about, like, debates at Netflix and, and said how they often get, uh, you know, heated but generally don't become mean-spirited or counterproductive because we all set a standard that they should... Uh, all essentially be about serving the business or the customer. I think, and that's so important. I think I know I've experienced like there's nothing better than a really great IR session that gets to the bottom of the work. But man, it's it is not fun when it becomes about you know ego for some people, and if that turns into something that's mean spirited, it, it it surely isn't productive for the client work, and it and it's not great for the team either. So. You know, as you are now 
you know, looking at things from a different lens as a, you know, a creative director who now just as much about the work as it is the people. Um, and as you're building teams and as you're, you know, starting to navigate that, how do you guys, you know, deal with that tension, right? You want enough tension that it creates some really interesting work, but you don't want that tension to cross the line to where it becomes caustic and sort of, you know, toxic. So what, what do you think are some things there that listeners can think about as they're looking at their teams, evaluating the work and, and thinking about how do we work together to do great work, but, but not cross that line? Yeah, absolutely. And it does come back to making sure that you're focused on the customer or the player or what their experience is with whatever product you're advertising or designing for. Because at the end of the day, if you have somebody on the team who says, oh, we should make it purple or make it more shiny or make it, you know, we've all gotten this type of feedback from certain clients, but making sure that you're throwing back questions of, okay, what about that color do you feel like serves our you know, XXX that we are trying to do for the customer with this piece of marketing or advertising or product. And so it helps diffuse some of that. And it also redirects focus to the thing that you're all trying to solve because you're all there to do the same thing. Because also at the end of the day, if you don't have the game, the product, the whatever it is, you don't have a job. You don't have work. You don't have something that you get to be creative about. And so understanding that you're all there for the same person and everybody wants to do great work and feel fulfilled in their job, taking it back to that place can diffuse some of that and it refocuses everyone on what we're trying to solve together. Mm. How has that been compare and contrast the difference between building those creative teams with your own agency for some of those projects you were talking about, um, smaller projects, passion projects versus something more corporate like EA games. What are those, what are those nuances? Or I guess, what have you learned from the small space that you can take to the big arena? And what have you learned from the big arena that you'll take back to the small space? I think there's a lot of crossover. There's just more people to do it with. So you still have those connections, you still have those conversations, but when you're on a smaller team or on a smaller project that everybody's been there, like at a startup when you're the first of 10 people that helped build that company, you were there from the beginning and when that idea came to fruition. So you do have more control over it, whereas when you're at a larger company, there's more convincing and getting buy-in. So figuring out either how to communicate what you've already done and why that's beneficial to, you know, whichever stakeholder that now is coming into the process to do a different part of the marketing campaign or have a social, you know, community event or whatever it is. It's making sure that you're giving that information to more people in a way that benefits the customer, but also infuses some of the thinking or the things that you tried that didn't work or that you realized weren't the best approach. That understanding is important too, instead of just telling somebody, oh, we're making it orange now. Letting that person understand why you made it orange will help direct their decision. So there is more of that on bigger teams, whereas on smaller teams, you're kind of all aligned for the most part with the overarching goal. Yeah. So this brings me to the next big idea I want to talk about is the idea of just providing support, supporting your people. And in sort of the byline of the book talks about this idea of responsibility and yet freedom. Um, 
So what does that look like? How does, how does, you know, when you're supporting people or supporting teams, what does that look like? You know, when you think about throughout your career, the teams you've been on, where you're at now, how is this big idea starting to play out? So it ties into her other idea of um, context, not control. So not telling people what they need to execute on, but giving them the information they need to make good decisions with the skills that they have and the excitement they have. People like having a hand in dictating what the final piece is, and they like to use their creativity. So making sure that they have all of the, the information they need, uh, the parameters they need, what is their sandbox that they have to work within, because we all have those, right? And it's hard to get that blank piece of paper, and you can't make informed decisions. At the end of the day, good design is strategic, and if it's just aesthetic for aesthetic sake, and it has no purpose, that's not effective design. It's beautiful design, and it's great to do some of those things every once in a while and just play and get creative and do more of the art side of it. But really effective design has that strategic purpose, and it does serve a goal, and it communicates to a certain audience. So making sure that the art directors or the designers understand all of that context so they can make good decisions you know, you should have interviewed them in a way that you know they're going to make good decisions based on the values of your company and just letting them run with it. Mm. Do you Have you ever felt that type of support? If you think back on your career, whether it's today or maybe several years ago, do you, what does it feel like, you know, to those listening, in your opinion, what, what does it feel like to be fully supported by your, you know, whether it's your creative director, your team lead, your president, whatever it is, what does that feel like to be in in a, in in a project or to be in it and to feel fully supported? What does that look like from your end? I mean, it always feels good, right? And I've been lucky enough to have a lot of those experiences. There's always going to be times where you don't have the information you need and you're being asked to do something. And the important part there is if you don't understand what that deliverable is or how you need to approach it and you don't have that context, that you ask questions until you fully can wrap your mind around it and understand what you need to do and how you work. Everybody has a different creative process. Um, some are more analytical than others. Some have to, you know, walk around and look at beautiful things and visual references. And then others make word lists. We all process information differently. And if you can't do the first step in your process to get yourself inspired, you have to get that information for yourself. Yeah. What about people coming into this industry? You know, think back on, you know, where you were as a student. Um, what have you learned that would be, you know, you could, you would have wished you could have told yourself, you know, uh, seven, eight years ago, what would be the things now as a, as more in this HR space, coach type space, someone who's done the work, but is now helping others do the work. What would you have told your young designer self? Yeah. And it's changed a lot too, right? Um, with the internet and the connectedness that that has brought with it, our professions have started to change. The industry of graphic design and advertising is changing, you know, where it used to be more about execution and being able to make something really, really beautiful. You have Pinterest where you're getting inspiration from it. You have places like 99designs where people can build up their portfolios and stretch their skills as a designer when they're still learning. Um, 
there's Adobe Live and, and those programs where you can see how people do it. So it's easier to learn the skill of making something beautiful. The part that is going to be less of a commodity is going to be the strategic thinking that goes into it and understanding how to take these business goals that companies have, how to take the marketing goals or the advertising goals or, you know, whatever the return on investment is that, you know, we never like to think about as creative. But being able to take those ideas, create a visual identity system for them is going to be the important part. So people coming into this business might start with the executional side of it and just having great taste and being able to develop some of these things. The bigger part, if you wanted to continue to excel in the industry and really do great things in a career here, you'll have to learn that other side of it too. So it's much more complex than it used to be. There's multiple types of designers these days, right? Mm-hmm. You know, just hearing you talk, I, I hear an energy in your voice today that's that sounds exciting. Yeah, it feels like you're you're engaged by what you're doing, um, but you've been doing this for a while. What do you say to those listening who are maybe they've been at their agency for ten years? You know, somebody who's like maybe that that spark that they used to have towards advertising or design is you know not as strong as it once was. You know, somebody who's done different things and who's grown and now is tackling and trying some new challenges. What do you say to the the veterans who are you know? wondering maybe what's their next step or what's their next, you know, uh, change. What do you say to them? What have you learned in your journey that, that you think would be good for someone to hear? Yeah, for me, it, you know, it kind of started with that kick in the pants of, oh my gosh, I'm two years behind everybody else. I didn't go to art school like I was supposed to. And so for me, it was learning as much as I possibly could in the beginning to excel that growth. And that became just what I did after that point. So while I was working at the advertising agency, I had a lot of hard graphic design skills, but I didn't know as much about storyboarding for commercials or video or, you know, the copywriting aspect of it, how copywriters build these scripts and tell these stories and what is the ebb and flow of that storytelling process. And so I've always pushed myself to learn more about illustration or learn more about videography or learn more about photography through my career and now I'm learning more about the people side the leadership side and the business side of those things they all come together and they all apply but it gives you something to take the craft that you're already doing and apply these other perspectives to it and it keeps you excited about it because it's always something new and you're always looking at it a different way and there's always room to grow and it's also really hard (laughs) You know, when the pandemic hit and I decided to get my MBA, I've been doing school full-time with a full-time job. And then, of course, we were all parenting full-time because the kids were home as well. And so having something that you feel like you are growing and you are getting excited about it and you can look at it in new ways is what's worked really well for me. But not everybody's like that. I think everybody just has to figure out what gets them excited in the morning and they want to do or how they want to change the world or how they, you know, want to live their life because that part is important. We only have a short period of time here. That is true. Well said. Um, let's, you mentioned parenting. So I want to shift the conversation because I think this is important, right? You know, creatives and people, you know, working in, in this industry, 
you know, we have lives outside of, <laughs> I don't know, you know, people in advertising might not, might not, uh, might not know it. So if you're listening, you do have a life outside of advertising. Um, you might want to, you might want to visit, uh, visit that life again. Um, but just talk to me for a minute as a mom. I mean, you know, not only a mom, but a, a military mom. So, you know, there's been stints, I assume, where you've kind of been holding down the fort on your own. Um, talk a little bit about, about that. What has that taught you as a leader and as a, as a person, um, you know, as a creative, what has it taught you about what you're capable of and, you know, how to overcome adversity? And I'm, I'm sure you've, you know, I don't know to what extent your husband has served, but it sounds like potentially he may have been in some, some situations that were, you know, dangerous. And how to, like, what did you learn from that experience? It seems like such a unique experience. <laughs> yeah, that was a fun one. Um, he was in the military active duty for 10 years. So there were some year-long deployments, and then he was part of a unit where he was here for a couple of months, and then he was gone for three months, and then he was here for a month, and then he was gone. And so until he joined the reserves a couple of years ago, he really wasn't around more than maybe 40% of our relationship, and we have an eight-year-old son, so it was a good portion of that time. And so you do really learn how to be effective, make choices that um, are good for your whole life because obviously when you have a career that you really, really love and that's what you want to do with your life, you have a family too and you have these other obligations, but it's something that you're not willing to let go of. So through that process, you just start figuring out how to make it work because you have, you know, you have no other choices and we were never around family because we were military. So finding people that we were close to and having those connections with just like when we met, making sure that you're forging those connections and you're taking care of them. Because when you have that whole web of people around you, it does get a little bit easier because you do have that support system. But you also gain this mentality of, well, I don't really have another choice, so I have to figure it out on my own. And it immediately mm. puts you into this just solution-oriented mode 100% of the time because it's not like you can just tell your partner to come back. You know, they're in yeah. another country. You might not even be able to talk to them for a few days. So it is empowering in that way if you let it be. Yeah. Wow. I can't even imagine that. I mean, I know how hard it is just from, uh, you know, when, when my wife has to work late and uh, and I'm, I'm in charge for uh, transporting the kids to soccer and figuring out dinner. I mean, I get overwhelmed. <laughs> yeah, oftentimes um, during this pandemic, I would be, you know, around 5 p.m. keeping an eye on my email and Slack just in case anybody needed me at work while cooking dinner, while listening to my audiobook for school and writing my discussion posts all at the <laughs> same time. And while, you know, managing the child and making sure he's getting in the shower or he's doing what he needs to. But you figure out how to balance what you can multitask and what needs 100% of focus. So a lot of times when I was doing the actual hands-on design work, like logo designs or poster designs or figuring out these complex creative challenges, I'm doing that after 9 p.m., you know, with a glass of wine wow. when everybody else is asleep because I can kind of hide away and be alone with the thoughts and the strategy and whatever it is we were trying to do and just blare my music in the office, have my glass of wine, do the art that I love so much. And then that mm. becomes the relief. That is still the fun part of doing it, but you just do it in a way that 
you know, that is your off time. That is your relaxation time. But if you love what you do, it definitely helps. Yeah. What, what is your, do you have a, any hacks to, I mean, that sounds exhausting. Everything you just described sounds exhausting. <laughs> Was there, did you have a practice that you did in that, in that, in that time? Did you, I mean, were you doing yoga? Did you have meditation? Are you into the mindfulness thing? Like, do you have any like secret sauce to how you got through, you know, a, a moment like that? I'm sure there's listeners right now who are in that same moment. Maybe they just had a baby Maybe they're starting a new position. Maybe they're now in charge of a brand that they didn't, you know, know they were, and it's 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 becoming overwhelming. You know, what are the things that you've learned to sort of like survive in the midst of the chaos? Yeah, and I think it's different for everybody. I have the incredible privilege of being super extroverted. Um, conversations like these give me energy; they get me excited. So, being on Zoom meetings all day can be exhausting because I'm staring at a screen all day. But I've been blessed with those things give me more energy, which probably, uh, it definitely helps with the ability to do that. So staying in touch with yourself and understanding if you are an extrovert that you can gain energy from those things, or if you are introverted and you know you have to have that quiet time alone, making sure that you have dedicated time for that is really important. Um, when we moved to Seattle, one of the things that we saved up for forever and was one of the best purchases we ever made was a sauna. And it's yes. in our backyard. And so three days a week, late at night, I mean, I've done saunas at you know 1 a.m. because that's when it's quiet. And I will just turn on the sauna and start thinking about my approach to design. Not the to-do list of what I need to accomplish, but how I can start creating things while I'm in the sauna relaxing my muscles, having that meditative period, but being able to give myself the space and freedom to have those ideas. Because if you are constantly going and you don't give yourself the space to do that, you don't really get to just dive into something and get those new ideas. You're always just replicating other things because if it's executionally driven, it's going to look like everything else that's out there. I've got this image of you, like you're like Rick Rubin, like Rick Rubin. He's got that, like he's got the sauna and he's got the the ice pool, and he like rotates between two, and he finds his zen moment, and that's where his brilliance comes. And then he goes and produces a Paul McCartney record. I feel like you're like having like some Rick Rubin time out there in the sauna. Yep, we have the outdoor shower, and it is set cold, and you got to shock yourself out of it and and put yourself through the ringer sometimes to make sure you're focused. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so great. That's awesome. So what's next for you? I mean, what, you know, I mean, obviously you're in the midst of your, your work thing, but you, you always seem to have some sort of a side hustle. You're always interested in these other brands that you're a part of, or you have equity in. You got anything exciting or interesting right now that you, you want to share? Right now, I am just focused on the Sims work. Um, there's a lot of exciting things that we're working on. And of course, I'm still learning the brand and all the ins and outs of it. And I want to do right by it. And I want to honor it. And I really want to do well and do right by the players. And so a lot of that is focused there right now. Obviously, I have the smaller projects and, and things that I do on the side. But Right now, I'm just enjoying the, the learning process of it and trying to do my best there and stay focused on that. I never look too much ahead. There's always that goal that you're, you know, you're striving for that you want to be really good at your profession or maybe it's a title that you specifically want. For me, it was never about that. I just love doing what I'm doing and 
you know, it all ties back to that original decision to not go to school and then go back to school is that just doing it was enough for me and just being here was enough for me. And sometimes I think it's important to remember that because it can be very easy to think of, you know, what is my salary compared to other people, especially as a woman? Or what, you know, what are other people doing that I went to school with and where are they at in their careers? You get very comparison driven and especially with Instagram and, you know, people are making podcasts like you are and it can be easy to get overwhelmed. And so making sure that you're enjoying the process is just as important as looking forward to what's next. Man, that was that was the thing we all needed to hear. I mean, you could not be more on the nose the game of comparison is real. I mean, everybody constantly looking, you know, how am I sizing up versus this person? And, and, and I think that's the thing, you know, we've been trying to teach our kids as well as, you know, as reminding ourselves, um, you're only seeing people's best side. <laughs> you're mm-hmm. not seeing, you're not seeing the full 360. You're not seeing, um, when they're down, you're not seeing when they're frustrated. You're not seeing when they don't have the awesome trip or, you know, you're not seeing the whole story. Yeah. And I think that's so huge that for us to be aware of and to remind ourselves because it, it's a broken, we've created a broken system where the social currency is only like one sided. Like it's only, you only get rewarded for like the, like the, the lavish and the beauty but there's like absolutely no transactions for like vulnerability that's like not awesome. Um, I don't know. I sometimes I wonder like maybe we need to start like the anti Instagram where everyone just posts like their worst moments. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And it and it also you don't see the moments where they are having special moments or having joy without taking a photo of it and posting it on Instagram, mm. you know? I have a photo reel full of things that we've enjoyed doing and our beautiful moments, but it's just for me to look back on and enjoy. And yeah. I keep those so when I'm older, I can look back and there is, you know, we don't have photo albums anymore. And social media has become some of those photo albums, especially if you don't live by family or friends and you want them to know what's going on in your life. So that's the stuff that you post. But there's also wonderful hikes where, you know, we leave our phones at home, which is probably a little dangerous also, but everybody's hiking <laughs> out here in the Pacific Northwest. So somebody will, somebody will go by us if needed. Um, but knowing that people are doing other stuff that maybe wouldn't get as many likes, but brings them more personal fulfillment, like sitting in a sauna, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, one last question I got for you, and I got to know, are you... Are you a gamer and and is your son a gamer? Do you guys ever play? Do you ever game together? What does that look like when it, when you're, you're here you are working at EA Sports and you have a son who I assume is interested in games or he's he's at least, you know, I assume at that age where he's some of those things are interesting. What's the gaming uh atmosphere at home right now? <laughs> yes. Well, we right now have so many things going on that we don't game together nearly as much as we would like to. You know, I grew up on the original Nintendos, and we had Ataris, and we had all of these original <laughs> games. And so my, my partner actually bought a Raspberry Pi and put a yeah. lot of the Nintendo games on there, and we got the old school controllers. 
And so we'll play Super <laughs> Mario Brothers a lot. Um, you know, he's super into Minecraft. And then, of course, we played The Sims. And so we build together. We like the games that, you know, we can share our creations with each other. And he'll be like, Mom, look at the treehouse I made. And, and we get into it together and talk about it. And then we're like, yeah, that's super cool. I wonder if we could also build that in Legos. So it's back and forth of like what we're doing on a screen and how we're creating in that way, but also how can we transition that into the real life? Because even as games and gaming companies, we have to think about, you know, kids are on screens all the time. We already know yeah. the psychological effects of how much that can affect you if you go too far with it. Um, and making sure that we're having that balance and understanding that, yeah, it's, it's awesome building in these games and it's also awesome building in real life. And how can we think about these things and what is the crossover? And so really tying it together is more of our focus, but we're always playing something. We're always playing games with each other, whether they are online or in person. That's awesome. Yeah. We're big into uh, FIFA at our house. I got a, uh, my son's about to be 13 and um, which by the way, my daughter um, which was, she was a baby back when we first met or she was very young. I just dropped her off at college. Oh man. Yeah, I know. Tell me about it. <laughs> Tell me about it. So yeah, we, uh, we dropped her off at the university of Cincinnati and she's, she's loving it. But my 13 year old we're um, we just play FIFA nonstop. And, 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 and to your point, we bring it to the real world as well. So we're, we, his, uh, I help coach his, uh, his soccer team for indoor. And, uh, we just, we love, we love coming at, you know, at home at the end of the day and just turning on FIFA and, and having a lot of fun. So I think it's that balance you talked about. Um, and I think, you know, again, you know, to, to wrap it up, it, it all points back to whether it's your personal life or we talked about work life, you know, I really do love, you know, the message in this book and, and it's right there, you know, even in that byline, you know, and I really think this idea of, a cultural responsibility and freedom. And when you can start to connect some of those dots, you can make a life, um, a family, uh, work-life balance that is very powerful. And I think that's what's interesting. And, and that's what I've seen, you know, as I've just watched you from afar, you know, I, I see a strong uh, female leader who's started businesses, made an impact at different uh, companies and agencies while also being a mom and, and a wife and really, focusing on family. And I think that's really cool. And, and I'm a fan uh, cheering you on from the sidelines. Well, thank you so much for that. And hopefully we did Patty McCord, you know, we did her well today. So I hope she's proud of the discussion <laughs> we've had today. Yeah. And, and thanks again so much. I really appreciate it. I know we, it was some back and forth to try to get this to happen. Cause I was, you know, sending, sending the mic kit out to you out in Seattle or whatnot, but I really appreciate you hanging in there and and making it happen. And you're always welcome uh, uh, to come on the show. And hopefully um, when we can all travel and hang out again, I want to, I want to come out there and uh, watch my horrible, almost last place FC Cincinnati. Uh, maybe one day play your amazing, awesome Seattle team. So maybe uh, <laughs> if, if that ever happens, maybe I'll grab a couple tickets and, and we can go hang out at the pitch. That would be wonderful. I look forward to it. Awesome. Hey, have a great weekend and, uh, you know, play some, uh, play some Sims with your, with your little guy. Sounds great. Enjoy your FIFA. <laughs> All right. See you. Cheers. Hey there. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. If you did, please subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Join the conversation on Instagram at a quick read podcast. See you in two.
A Quick Read is a Leap Group podcast.